Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Access Asia. Coming up, with a penchant for pageantry, two isolated leaders meet in remote Siberia. Russia's Vladimir Putin hosting North Korea's Kim Jong-un for a high-profile summit. Indian-made cough syrups have been linked to the deaths of dozens of children overseas. We'll take a look at the origins of the scandal. And Malaysia's constitution forbids discrimination, but official policy also favors majority Malays over Chinese and Indians, who account for a third of the population. Well, North Korea's Kim Jong-un spent more than 20 hours on an armored locomotive to meet Russia's Vladimir Putin on his first trip abroad in more than four years. The high-profile summit between two of the world's most isolated leaders was held at a remote Siberian space center. Washington has been closely watching cooperation between North Korea and Russia for over a year now. For more, we can speak to France 24's own Yuka Royer. Hello to you, uh, Yuka. Um, before we get to the contents of this summit, uh, Russia rolled out this red carpet for the North Korean dictator who traveled there Orient Express style. And what do we know about Kim Jong-un's love for trains? Well, it runs in the family, it has to be said. Well, uh, the train was the preferred means of traveling for both his father and grandfather. Unlike his father, Kim Jong-il, Kim Jong-un is not scared of flying and has traveled by air in the past. But the long and slow transport has some key advantages. Uh, it can be more flexible if anything happens, like an attack, uh, and it's, it's more difficult to track, of course. And it's not just any train that he travels on. It's a bulletproof moving fortress that's so heavy that it can reportedly only move up to 50 kilometers per hour. Kim has several carriages all to himself, including a private bathroom and a fully equipped and connected office. So even uh, if it takes days to reach a destination, he can continue to run the country quite comfortably on board. Yeah, testimony to their comrade-in-arms relations. Oh, they gifted each other with guns, didn't they? Well, if you look back at 2019, during the previous meeting uh, back then, the pair exchanged dueling gifts of long knives. This time, the Kim and Putin gave each other rifles as the North Korean leader uh, pledged full and unconditional support uh, for Russia's war in Ukraine. And now, Putin also presented uh, his guest with a glove from a cosmonaut's uh, spacesuit. At this and the choice of uh, Vistochny Space Center as the meeting's venue are significant. And when asked about uh, support, possible support for North Korea's space program, Putin responded, well, that's exactly why we are here. Uh, so the gifts carry a symbolic importance here for this uh, weapons for tech cooperation, uh, though they are somewhat smaller in size than some other gifts offered to North Korean dictators in the past. Now, Joseph Stalin and Mao Zedong uh, both offered a train carriage, uh, out of everything else, to Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea. So gifts are important. North Koreans appreciate that. And there's even a special museum outside Pyongyang dedicated to those tokens of what they call international friendship. And this meeting drew a lot of oh, attention from the Western media. What were the reactions from North Korea's neighbors and the United States? Well, they're obviously alarmed. Uh, the U.S. does not want to see Russia replenish a stock, its stockpile of ammunition uh, to be used against Ukrainian soldiers. 
And Japan and South Korea don't want to see Pyongyang acquire any new rocket technology uh, that it already than it already has, particularly uh, if it can could boost its nuclear capabilities. Now, while the Japanese Prime Minister called for a diplomatic meeting with Kim Jong-un again, uh, South Korea and US uh, jointly issued a warning at a senior level security meeting uh, in Seoul. Let's take a lesson. We've urged the DPRK to cease its negotiations with Russia and cease its support uh, for Russians, Russia's illegal war in Ukraine, abiding by their own public commitments. We've also sanctioned individuals and entities that are involved in negotiating and facilitating arms transfers. Military cooperation between Russia and North Korea is a grave violation of Security Council resolutions. Russia should act responsibly as a founding member of the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and as a permanent member of the UN Security Council. So concerns, obviously, palpable there. Uh, if you remember, in August, there was a historic uh, trilateral summit in Camp David between Japan, uh, South Korea and the United States. It was a security meeting uh, in view of China's threat, but obviously uh, all three are concerned about North Korea's nuclear threat. All right, Yuka, thank you very much. Uh, Yuka Royer uh, speaking to us there. Well, there's been a, a wave of toxic cough syrup found in various countries around the world, and authorities say it may lead back to India. Some of the drug makers there could not prove they even tested their products. Over four and a half years ago, 12 children died in northern India from modified cough syrup, and the families there are still waiting for justice. Emerald Maxwell has more. Anirudh was just two years old when he took the cough syrup in January 2020. He died shortly afterwards. One of at least 16 children in India's northern region of Jammu and Kashmir, whom authorities found had been poisoned. Over a matter of weeks, 12 died. Four others were left with severe disabilities. Anarud's mother is still waiting for justice. The justice we want is that strict action should be taken against the manufacturers. Both penalty and punishment should be given so that people remember this incident and no child from any other family should meet the same fate. Government analyses of the medicines the children took found they contained a 34% concentration of the toxin DEG, far above safe levels of no more than 0.1%, according to the World Health Organization. Sakesh Kajuria has been campaigning on behalf of the victims' families since March 2020. He filed a complaint against the regional government of Jammu and Kashmir. You are a welfare state and your people, whose job it is to check these medicines, failed to do that. And you let these unchecked spurious drugs be sold in the market. So you, the state government, is liable to pay the compensation. The regional government was ordered to pay the families of the 12 dead children $3,600 each in compensation. But for them, the court did not go far enough because it didn't hold the manufacturer, Digital Vision Pharma, to account. The drug maker has denied its cough syrups were responsible for any poisonings. But regulators say substituting cheaper ingredients when making medicines is common practice among some Indian manufacturers. This wave of fatalities may have just been the start. The WHO says that Indian-made cough syrups have been linked to the deaths of 141 children in Gambia, Uzbekistan and Cameroon over the last year.
Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government introduced a new rule in June that all cough syrups for export must be checked in government laboratories. But it has not increased testing requirements for those sold in India. Malaysia has long suffered a brain drain. One major re reason cited is social injustice. The country's constitution forbids discrimination against citizens based on sex, religion and race, but also accords a special position for the so-called sons of the soil, various indigenous groups that make up nearly 70 percent of the population. That means for the minorities in the country, they face an uphill fight. Tilingan dreamt of being a doctor. Despite having excellent grades, he wasn't accepted to his medical school of choice because of Malaysia's quota system, which allocates less seats for minorities like him. Back then, when I didn't get, I was like very upset. Basically, they already like allocated like okay for 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 Indians, there are this amount of seats that should be given. For Chinese, there should be this amount of seats be given, and also for Malays, this amount of seats should be given. Since there are a lot of competition for that seat. So I have to like really outperform from the others to actually get into that seat. By global anti-discrimination standards, Malaysia's law protecting its historically ethnic majority is unusual. Instead of helping minorities, its affirmative action system is a major disadvantage for them. Tilingan's best friend is one of few Muslims who dare to criticize the privilege he enjoys being in the ethnic majority. Yeah, it's unfair. The system is wrong today because some people are taking it for granted. We can't really change the system, even if we want to. I don't think the system actually affects our friendships. Friendships should just remain the same. Since gaining independence from Great Britain in 1957, Malaysians were promised equality. Malay Muslims, who represent nearly 70% of the population, coexist side by side with descendants of Indian and Chinese migrants sent to work in Malaysia by British colonists. But during riots in 1969, Malay Muslims attacked ethnic Chinese whom they accused of monopolizing wealth and positions of responsibility and power. To ease the tensions, the government passed a series of affirmative action laws, which are still in place today, to ensure the Muslim majority would be guaranteed employment, access to education, and positions in civil service. This director made a documentary about the topic, telling the story of Indians across the country. The Malays have their own rights, and we have no right to question their rights. It's a very sensitive issue. Race and politics and religion are always very, very sensitive. I think you understand that. End of the day, each and everyone will have our own rights. The filmmaker acknowledges this viewpoint, but he fundamentally disagrees. He recalls that his family has been Malaysian for four generations. I am in Malaysia and I am registered as a citizen and I pay tax and I am treated not like a citizen. On paper, yes, I am Malaysian, but it just doesn't feel like your own home when you're continuously being discriminated. We asked Malay Muslims about the legal privileges granted to them being in the majority. In the Malaysian constitution, they have a special for the Malay. Why? Because they are, this is our, 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 our country. Chinese come, come from Chinese, India from India. But they originally, Malaysian is, uh, Malay is, this is uh, our country. People here just follow what the government said. Okay. The subject is taboo. 
Far from the official discourse of the Malaysian government, which often praises harmony, preferential treatment of Muslim Malays applying for civil servant positions is also indisputable, with nearly 80% of top management positions being held by Muslim Malays in 2022. And finally, they bred and they fled. Dozens of crocodiles escaped a breeding farm in southern China. Authorities frantically looked for about 70 of the animals. Villagers close by were told to stay at home. No casualties were reported, but officials admitted that some of the reptiles may still be in the deep water. That's it for this edition of Access Asia. Thank you for watching, and please stay tuned to France 24.